Hey, everybody. Uh, Regeneration fans, maybe not fans of Regeneration, uh, maybe first time, maybe you've been listening to many podcasts. Welcome. It is the Regeneration podcast. I'm here with my good buddy who I missed last week. Michael, you you carried, uh, that was excellent. Uh, I was I was busy. Uh, Michael will be able to tie some things in, but that was a great talk on psychedelics and spirituality. It was a, it was a great talk. It was a great fact, talk. Segue into what we're going to talk today about. I, I, think, I think so. I think so. Yeah, yeah, but it was it was different flying without you, Mike. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Every time Michael hasn't been able to show up, it's been spontaneous. All of a sudden, <clears> you're just not there, or you got severed a couple of times in the middle of a podcast. Um, it's great. That's real. Well, you know, I was, remember uh, when we when we talked to speaking of the underworld, when we talked to uh, James Tunney. Yeah. Remember. My power, I, I I got disconnected right in the middle of it. Yeah, it's because we were talking about fairies. I think so. And I felt like he, I was way out of my that, league. I don't, I don't know if you caught this, but he said later that after that was broadcast, that he thought that the fairies took retaliation on him for spilling too many beans and let his his bathtub overflow. I didn't hear him say <laughs> that. That's great. So he told me. Yeah. I think I told the fairies too much. Are you are you getting the uh, the Canadian wildfire smoke again? Yes, it's bad here. It's not it bad. Me. Yeah, we Ours do have is... a war- we do have a uh, air advisory, but it doesn't look bad. It doesn't look yeah. like it did a month. Ours ago. would be again a cloudless sky normally, but you can look straight at the sun. It's just a little yellow, little orange. Yeah. Out. So the um the the air. I was driving home from work and I saw this air, and it reminded me. I was thinking of uh, well, I think it's related. You know, like nuclear fallout. But then I thought of uh reading Cormac McCarthy's The Road, you know, that it creates this kind of apocalyptic atmosphere, all the yeah. smoke in the air. And uh, and then I thought of our guest, because I knew he was joining us. Cormac McCarthy, of course, uh, has so many novels set in the southwest of America, right around uh, New Mexico and Santa Fe. And our guest today, ladies and gentlemen, his name is Stephen Clark. He comes from that, re- that region. And I want to say how I got to know Stephen Clark. I don't know what two words I googled, but it's just something I do. It might have been Teotihuacan and Steiner. Could have been Teotihuacan and Divine Feminine. I have no idea. But I found a series of essays called Mexican Mysteries. And to me, they were just, I was skiing in the Catskills on a February break. And I just woke up four days in a row early to just try to digest this. So much of it was new. And uh, I think since that time, I've read what I would say two essays and an amazing bibliography, really an amazing bibliography. And it, what it had to do was uh, some weird short little book that we'll hear about that Rudolf Steiner wrote, yep. where he had some image, you know, some vision, some sense of things that had taken place on this continent. And I knew it just it jived with me because I've always thought the if even we just talked about the Catholic faith, that America has still has to find it has to become close to finding its own song and uh, this these series of essays have done as much for me as for like i've been thinking about it a long time but for the last seven years or so these essays have been more fructifying than anything else i've ever read so i want to welcome stephen clark friends and uh stephen uh, give us a little backstory you know i uh what led what's your background and what led you into this steiner book in particular because it seems like you spent a disproportionate amount of your writing time on this subject. You know, the American continent, the Our Lady of Guadalupe. It's a wild mashup. Tell us, people. I don't even know your background. I think you're a BMW audio mechanic. 
or auto mechanic, right? Uh, I was in my okay. last incarnation this life. I, was, <laughs> I had, a, I had a, a job for almost 30 years and uh, I started it. Uh, uh, I started it myself and I ended up uh, being able to sell it. Uh, we didn't get much from it, but uh, uh, at least I didn't uh, die on the job like a lot of the fellow mechanics are probably destined to do. Yeah. It's just so neat that you're so intelligent. And I'm sure that the power of your writing and your insights has something to do with the fact that you've worked with your hands and things. Well, uh, uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I guess I'm, uh, uh, yeah. But uh, the whole thing about America is very interesting because like you say, it still has to, uh, well, uh, America has always known itself, but th those of us who are of a, uh, a colonizer ancestry are still kind of floating on the surface. Uh, uh, we don't know the, uh, the, uh, the, the prayers uh, that are said uh, to welcome uh, the dawn or the harvest, uh, which, uh, which uh, songs and stories uh, are known by the uh, receiving spirits on the, on the other side, of, which is not another world, it's just this world. Uh, the whole mind-body duality thing is not a part of uh, native uh, psychology or cosmology. Uh, it's all very, very integrated. And uh, what we really have in modern American culture is a, a, a vastly disassociated culture where everyone is pretty much uh, uh, scrambling over the backs of everyone else <laughs> to, get, <laughs> to get the little tasty morsels that are dangling in front of us. And they make us pay for it. Uh, yeah. to make us work for it and spend our money on it. Uh, the whole thing is uh, so normalized that we've taken it so much of it for granted, which makes it so difficult to, to recognize what's, uh, uh, what has been here for so long. And that's what I've, what I've tried to do. <clears throat> You've done uh, it so well. Well, uh, it, it has to be actualized in, in people's lives. It's one thing to uh, discuss or impart information, but uh, you really have to uh, spend a lot of time chewing it and digesting it and throwing out the seeds and the bits of husk and the, the you know, bits of dirt and stuff that comes along with anything that rolls along to this world. And I, and I want Michael to kind of follow me up on this because he knows the movement better, but something that stands out is so singular in your work is you, you're totally free within that kind of anthroposophical worldview. You know, that you, your essays model this uh, engagement with the works as Rudolf Steiner, you know, wanted. And that you use them, again, to, you've harnessed this crazy, this great freedom. And you don't work, you're, again, like, it's, it's fun to listen to an intelligent person think and write, you know. But Michael, I mean, you know that movement better. How how rare is Stephen's writing? Oh, Stephen is super rare because okay, so I don't know how rare Stephen, he is. Stephen dares to say maybe Steiner was wrong about this thing, <laughs> which you don't hear very much in that movement. Trust me, I've been around it for thirty some years myself. Uh, 
And I, in fact, I was actually thinking, of, I don't know how, why I was thinking about this, but um, when I was out in the garden this morning, weeding the carrots, and if you, we have a, like a 50-foot carrot bed. So weeding carrots is, is tedious, especially when they're little. So I, but I was thinking about, you know, because I, I, I caught some heat from a friend of mine for in one of my books, you know, not really criticizing harshly Rudolf Steiner, but calling into question some some of uh, some, something he said. I mean, just one thing, right? Because and I and I, and I'm I admire Rudolf Steiner, and you know, and he's I think he's probably the most important formative force in my thinking over the last thirty five years or so. But some people get really it's it's a, a kind of fundamentalism you often find in philosophical circles where. You, you can't question the teacher, even though one of Rudolf Steiner's main points was, don't take my word for it. Right, right. See if it works. See if it, it rings true. Don't take my word for it. Don't turn me into a guru, right? Exactly. You were so passionate about your subject, Stephen. You must have that had to inspire you to follow wherever yeah. truth led. Yeah. yeah, well, there's there's two things involved there that, that pointed me in a, in a certain way. One was that... Um, is that I, I really feel like I'm from here. I feel like I'm an American. I've been acculturated too by uh, studying and actually being initiated by Native American medicine people. Uh, and I've been accepted into their ceremonies and, and their families. And being down in the Southwest, uh, uh, there's always Natives coming and going, not just the local ones, but, but, the, but the other ones. They're always traveling and going around doing that. And so that was long before I met Steiner. So I had an introduction to what was going on in this country. But I was fascinated by Steiner because although I had spent a lot of time studying Buddhism uh, of various sorts before I met Steiner, I was a little bit not perturbed, I guess, because the Buddhist philosophy is so it's so atemporal. Uh, it's up to you to apply it to modern circumstances, however you want, and you can do it. But but Steiner really got into the occultism of of machines, electricity. Uh, he was he was totally his worldview was totally integrated with uh, European cultural movements, uh, the First World War, uh, uh, progress, technology, all that stuff. Steiner. You know, really tried to grapple with that, and uh, he did a did a great job. But he was just a guy, really. Uh, <laughs> and you know, great. here we are. You know, we're all trying to do our best, and some of us, uh, uh, you know, stand on the shoulders of giants, and some of us are trying to dig our way out of a hole. And uh, and I think just about everyone is doing a little bit of all of that stuff. You know, I certainly never took for granted that, you know, that Steiner had an open window onto everything. Uh, and, and then, like I said, being interested in being a spiritual citizen here, uh, you come across Steiner's references to Native Americans, and invariably, he refers to them as being extinct. Hmm. Yeah. Now, you can have different philosophical differences about other things that the, the Steiner 
got from the Akashic Record or speculated upon or whatever and have fascinating discussions about, you know, was Steiner right or wrong about this, that, the other thing. And usually he's got a really great point to make. If you can, <laughs> you can, you know, you know, hack your way through all the, you know, commentary and his, <clears throat> his own words to try and figure out what his point was. Frequently it's extremely obscure and off the point, and you wonder why he spent so much time talking about it at all. And, oh, maybe there was one person in the audience that needed to hear that. But, mm -hmm. but sometimes it's just, it's just hard to make out what he's talking about. And you give him the benefit of the doubt. But when he says that the Native Americans are extinct and that they're a form of life in between monkeys and humans, well, you got to be willing to draw the line, you know? It's just... Right just an error of fact. And you say, okay, well, Steiner was, you know, he had some, some, some bug under his saddle or something that made him say something crazy like that, but it, it can't be supported. And it's foolish to try and do so. Yeah. Now, I don't know why he went down that road unless he had never confronted the fact of, of, uh, of the underworld in mm -hmm. spirituality, which is the spiritual world of the Native Americans in this country, in this part of the world. And so there's- What was a, the line you used before we came on? Like we're, miss the, we're missing half the story of everything. It's half the story. Uh, so because, Steiner, so, so I'm an outsider. I'm just gonna say like Steiner, I might've thought like, obviously these Mexican mysteries are about the American landmass. You're saying in general to somebody who doesn't know nearly as much Steiner as the two of you, the underworld was not his thing. Absolutely not. Yeah. There, there is the place of the underworld in the Western mystery tradition, and that has to do with the Grail and with what happened with Jesus on Easter Saturday. Yeah. In the biblical biblical accounts, the whole of the Torah and all the Old Testament is all about what led up to the incarnation of Jesus Christ, even though the Jews don't see it like that, but it's part of the Christian Bible too. And then in the, in the New Testament, you've got the life of Jesus and then the crucifixion. And then you have Easter Saturday, which is like, like a blank spot on the tape, you know? And then, wow, Easter Sunday, there's Jesus, he's back. Where'd he go? What happened? No one knows. No one talks about it, but when you when I investigated the the spiritual the the perennial spiritual stream in this country going back two thousand years, I found and it matched up with some of what Steiner said, namely that in Mexico in he didn't say Teotihuacan, but obvious that's what it was, and I satisfied myself that's where it was in Teotihuacan. There was a there was a partition participation by the uh, by the uh, spiritual mm, responsible spiritual people to cooperate with the sacrificial mission of Christ on on Good Friday, not right. Good Friday itself, but Easter Saturday, when Jesus went into dropped into the earth into the, the body of the earth, it was the spiritual 
people in this part of the country that received him and conducted him to the courts of the deep mother from whom he received his resurrection. That's, that, that's my general yeah, yeah, yeah. thing. So if you take the, uh, the, the, the sculpture, Michelangelo's, Michelangelo's sculpture of the Pieta, you have the, the, the dying or dead Christ off the cross. This is brilliant. People need to hear this. Yeah. Of the arms of his mother. Then you go to the Madonna and child. You have the deep mother resurrecting her son and giving him back to the earth. So isn't that wild? So, but go, let's, the and first also, story, <clears throat> the first story is from Mater, the infant and child to Mater Dolorosa. You're saying with this movement, you know, around the time of Teotihuacan, you have, that's reversed, I like it. And you go from the Mater Dolorosa to giving Christ back to the planet. Yes. Okay, right. Yeah, and, other, yeah. And, and we should note that in that sculpture by Michelangelo, <clears throat> the Virgin would be like seven or eight feet tall in in real real scale and well, that's christ, right isn't it christ is human scaled and she's like huge <laughs> she's like I noticed that. yeah that's, that's crazy yeah so i mean so people might need to hear some of that again like when i first read your stuff steve and again i was skiing it was february <laughs> i'm just thinking that like okay this guy is saying that like the effect of the incarnation had a special reception this other huge landmass, which also has its whole poetry from the arctic down to the southern tip of south america and that in Teotihuacan, which again, if, if the scholarship is still where you were when you wrote these, Stephen, we see some human sacrifice, but not much. We see a reverence for the divine feminine, and we see evidence that something happened there that led to this great civilization that kind of folded itself up after a time. And that the, I'm starting to weave in some of my own language, which the listeners will hear, is that after 2,000 years, especially the last um, thousand you know, of sky god top down, that this this connection to the underworld on Holy Saturday gives us a charism on the American landmass that has been explored by the Native Americans in particular, and leads us to say something like the following, is that we need to focus for the next 2000 years on the underworld, things that are below that are not from the devil, and that is our kind of American calling. Is it, Does that get a lot of it, Steve? Sure, yeah. yeah. Go with yeah. You know, there's an interesting uh, thing from, from Steiner about this. Uh, he, 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 if you read enough Steiner, I mean, eventually he'll, he'll, there's, it's way off in the corner. You can find it really supports the picture of this. One of the last Michael letters, that's one of his last lecture cycles. And one of the very last ones he talks about that as soon as anything started to happen, in the creation of the cosmos as a whole, as soon as there was anything that that had an interior space, you know, it was as soon as there was anything that was separated from the cosmos as a whole that had an interior subjective space to it, spiritual beings came to work not from the outside but from the inside on what that was, and I think that that paradigm works all the way through and that that here uh, on this planet we have cosmic forces and we have earthly forces and we are suspended between them yeah you know they like in a like in a 
in a, in a, in a, a set of six bungee cords. We've got four in the four directions, one above and one below, and we're in the middle here. But with just with this is about every spiritual stream in Western culture for the last two thousand years. There's there, there's been no connection with what's below, and we, we say the sun draws the plants out of the earth, but the 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 sun provides the generative provides the impulse but the life the nurturing you know comes from the earth you know when when people make babies the 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 male is there you know and then deus abscondus what do you say you know that it's the mother that hangs in there right not just for nine months but for the whole life of the child you know to to keep supporting that person and that's what mother earth does for us right and, and i think and i think also and i think uh just psychologically i mean this is what i've been yammering out about for a few years now um that's what what sophiology is is acknowledging the mother finally right is 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 the nurturing right and that's you know, it, yes, it, I also, I'm, I'm a biodynamic right. farmer. I can't help but think everything you just said is is gospel. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> well, if if I can if I can riff on what you said about sophiology, that's pretty big nowadays and getting bigger, and that's great. But still looking for Sophia and the cosmos, and that's where you, according to my point of view, you will find Sophia in the cosmos. But I mean. What is she? Is she like a ghost? Is she an equal fourth person to the three people of the Trinity? You start looking at the theology there, and it's all a bit, all a bit fuzzy. Well, the way I see it is that everything we we think about dealing with Sophia is like, you know how Batman projects the 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 the, the bat icon on the cloud from yeah. the from the what do you call it? The big light. Yeah, yeah, the spotlight there. Spotlight, yeah. Well, Sophia is like the image in the cloud. The great mother, the the the, the feminine identity, uh, parallel uh, uh, being to God the Father, is deep within the is at the core of the planet, and she projects herself out into right. the cosmos. Exactly. So you have like a like a ghostly apparition there which is well that's what I, th I think you see in a lot of people promulgating a kind of sociology is they're trying to do it within the context of of, a, of received christian theology and it just doesn't fit right exactly. it just yeah. doesn't fit and so th and, Steiner, and steiner didn't challenge that see he accepted that oh. and so he was hamstrung from trying to go there particularly since the underworld is is consistently conflated with hell yeah you know? that's my point yeah, and everything yeah. that's bad in the world sinks down in the other world you know the, the core of the earth is the source of all evil well when did this happen you know when you know this 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 whole planet is the rot work of the gods quote unquote you know since day zero yeah. uh, at what point did it all flip into being totally evil and we're trying to survive here on the crust above a huge boiling cauldron of shit. Uh, <laughs> Stephen's going now. Go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can believe that if you want, but I don't, and I haven't for a long time. And 
I'm doing okay with it. <laughs> well, and I, and I think that's what you see with a lot of people who get attracted to to what the way I understand sociology is they if the simultaneously in fact there was just someone today who, who commented on this um what accompanies it is what in a non-disparaging way we would call a kind of paganism which is connected to the earth right and and what you see with too many especially orthodox theologians they try to take they try to take that like you said Stephen, back into the cosmos right or back you know to the sky someplace it's, it's metaphysical it's safe there's no consequences you know to being right or wrong you know it's it's right. philosophical it's abstract uh, uh, it's it's very it's all very cognitive but if if you're walking on the earth and and you respect the living earth for for what it is you're going to be very much in your body yeah you know your, your somatic consciousness is is frankly is a lot smarter than our brain our friend Therese is going to love this michael yeah, I mean, and, and I don't, Stephen probably doesn't know this, but the where I live, my farm, is uh, the site of an ancient Ojibwe uh, meeting ground. Oh. So we often find, you know, working in the garden, we haven't found, I don't think we found any this year, but last, we, we find them usually, uh, a lot of spearheads and arrowheads. And then we found out, because actually I wouldn't have known, but uh, a guy who used to come here to stay with his his uncle and aunt when he was a kid, he was older. He was taking pictures of my house. I'm like, hey, buddy, what are you taking pictures of my house for? He's no, no, no. I used to come here when I was a kid and spend the time. Do you know you know about the, the burial ground? And he, th he thought it was a burial ground, but we, we looked it up and it was not a burial ground, it was a meeting ground. That's thought it was. No, you don't yeah. want to be living on a burial ground. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be living on. It's not, it, and it, it wasn't. It was. There were no bones found here, but they found a lot of artifacts. In fact, because yeah. it was, ex, it was uh, excavated. At least parts of it were, were by Michigan State University, um, like almost a hundred years ago. Brave robbers. <laughs> well, they were. Yeah. Well, they didn't take any bones. Us, yeah. They didn't take any bones. They didn't take anything, from what I understand. But they were. They, it's uh yeah, well, you can tell. I mean the th the thing is it's there's a uh, and you can feel in fact I took my daughter out into the pasture because I couldn't figure out where it was where the ground was hmm. where the sacred ground was until I bought a cow and she ate down all the grass out in the pasture and then you could see there's a ring <laughs> right over there like a mound and I brought my daughter out there. I said, just follow me. <laughs> she, she was following me. And all of a sudden she said, whoa, what is that? It was, and it was coming up from the ground. And Stephen, tell us about, in one sense, and I don't mean to make light of it at all, but tell us about the underworld. You know, we're hearing a lot about like what it's not. You know, you, you credit a lot to your relationship with the Navajo, if I'm right. And, uh, you experience things, you know, Michael was going to make a, a connection between last week's episode and um, and this subject on the underworld last week on psychedelics and spirituality. But, uh, you know, you meet people, you meet things there, you know, tell us about it, you know, and, and eventually we want to hear like, how should somebody who's just being exposed to this for the first time, what should they do with the information they're hearing? Go ahead. 
Well, according not only to Steiner, but he, he, he borrowed this lock, stock and barrel from you know, centuries of Christian theology. You have the spiritual hierarchies, right? And, and the, the angels uh, are, are close to us and we have personal guardian angels. Then we have archangels, they were further away and they, they regulate uh, uh, cultures and uh, uh, things like that. And then you have uh, archai, greater than that. They, uh, they uh, regulate uh, great cycles of time. And you go on like that all the way up to, to God. <clears throat> well, with the underworld, there are also levels of, of beings that are responsible for the, uh, for the continual recreation and maintenance of the world. Uh, you have uh, uh, elemental uh, spirits of, of uh, really uh, uh, basically like rather minor ones of, of, of light and, and water and earth and fire. Uh, you have other small scale spirits that, uh, that hang out with uh, flowers and vegetables and whatnot. The deeper you go, the more, the more powerful, uh, the more powerful and, and, uh, and broader their, their effect gets. And although it's rather a, a mirror image, uh, you're familiar with the Kabbalistic tree of life, mm -hmm. uh, glyph, right. you know, most people have seen it. You know. Well, just flip it upside down with the earth, then at the top, and you have the rest of the tree descending all the way down to, uh, to the mother, you know, at the, at the lowest or most or innermost uh, location. And in between there, you have, you have worlds. You have, you know, worlds within worlds within worlds. And it's uh, marvelously complex, but it's not an exact mirror image because take women and men, we're pretty much the same thing. We share 99% of our chromosomes with flat ones, I guess, but we share even more with, with women. We're all guys here on the podcast, but we share all our, most of our chromosomes with, with, with women. And we aren't opposite. We're more alike, you know, than we're opposite, but there's, there's kind of, like, there's a kink between the two. It's not the same, but there's a, there's a, uh, complementarity that makes a union and diversity kind of thing going on. And that's what happens between the underworld and the overworld uh, in, 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 my, in, in, my, in my experience. Now, the thing is, the problem that people can have, and maybe they sense it with the underworld, is that you're dealing with, with powerful forces. They aren't ab abstract ideologies or uh, theories or conceptual categories, you, you meet someone in the underworld and you are transformed. That's how you know it's a spiritual experience because it, it's transformative, maybe on a large scale, maybe on a small scale. But uh, you can talk about cosmic stuff all day long and go nowhere. But you go into the underworld and start meeting the, the forces uh, that are there and it, it's dangerous. You know, fire is effective, but it burns. Uh, you can't have power without uh, without uh, consequences. So there's that's where you meet your karma. Uh, but it's it's a lovely place. <laughs> After terrifying us, <laughs> it's, it's a lovely place. It's yeah. beautiful. 
Uh -huh. it's, uh, everyone wants to go back to the womb. Uh, that's it. That's the big one. And uh, it, it, it feeds us uh, 24 7, 365. What, so, one of the creatures you kind of talk about in your work, I, I'll say, is not a total taxonomy. That's not your goal, the taxonomy, at least in the work I've read. But you meet, and Michael, you know, I think it's people who listen to this Joe Rogan, they're talking about DMT and certain psychedelics. And I had a, my youngest son, Aiden, who's been on the podcast. He was talking about these. And I said, this guy I'm reading now, Stephen Clark, can describe these things. And um, I don't know if they're saying, but it, at one point in the essays, you describe these creatures. They're quite, describe them. You know, do you have a name for them? Kind of uh, in if DMT, they're kind of like gremlin type gray creatures that seem to come out from the. Well, I don't know. I, I don't know if you want to talk too much about what you, what you see yeah. in doing uh, uh, entheogens, which I have a healthy respect for, believe me. Uh, but uh, it's, it's it basic uh, entheogens of any sort really only take you to the astral world. Okay. And if you know anything about the astral world, it's, uh, it's, it's like the dream time, you know, when you dream, you know, anything can happen in your dream life. And uh, sometimes it's, uh, sometimes you wake up, you know, and you say, I had a lucid dream, you know, I could have, I, I just been changed as much as if I had, you know, walked out the door and had this and happened to me in waking life and you get, you get shook up. But actually those ones, those are real tricky because they're mischievous uh, and uh, they got a life of their own. And most of them for good reason, really don't like people. So, you, you know, you gotta be hard <laughs> for them, you know, just, just waiting to fuck with you, you know, because they're, they're waiting to get some licks back in. I'll tell uh -huh. you, yeah. you know, they aren't too happy with people and what we're doing with things. So you gotta be careful dipping into that, but you know, uh, what do you call it, beginner's luck, or, uh, you know, uh, uh, angels take care of fools and children, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a delicate thing, uh, but that stuff is real in its own way, in its own world, it's real, if, if you're on DMT or LSD, you've got to deal with what's happening there, uh, and afterwards, you've got to integrate it, uh, and it may, you may have gone to a place where, you know, I don't think I want to go there anymore, you know, or maybe you do. It's not, it's not the end all and be all. Right. And you got to have a frame of reference too. That, that stuff is, uh, is very interesting, but it's not the spiritual world. The spiritual world can leak through anything to get to us, but uh, drugs of any sort are not an open door. They're a hell of a lot of fun. And that's interesting. That's yeah, I mean, you speak with some so much and there's, there's wisdom if you go if you're doing the entheogens in a traditional context see what i said has to do with you know psychotourism you know oh let's go ayahuasca i know someone did yeah. let's go to brazil you know we'll hang out for a couple of weeks and blah 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 well you aren't going to get you aren't going to get the real thing there if it, if you study with native shamans and have undergone the training, which many times is just hanging out and, and seeing how people operate, you know, 
across the board and all the conditions of life, you know, you start getting things by, by, by osmosis. That's where a lot of the teaching is. You won't get it from so-called instruction yeah. and stuff like that. You just got to- Do you find it. the shamanic tradition? It takes oh, time. At that yeah. point, you're connected with, with a whole, whole set of links to the ancestral traditions, which are living traditions, which are constantly in contact with their, their spirit ancestors and guides and, and guiding beings on the other side. Then you're protected. But you got to be all in, you know. You yeah. can't, and 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 even then, the lesson is you got to be able to do it without any of that stuff. It's all about focused intention. Right. You don't have focused intention. You're a kite without a string. You know, you're just floating around, and that can be fun too. So take your pick. It's <laughs> really great. Is the shamanic tradition like to a total outsider? I live in the Haudenosaunee territory, the Seneca Nation. Western New York, but um, you know, if thinking in the Catholic Church, you know, I work for the Roman Catholic Church, and uh, you have you have marrying apparitions. I'm I'm glad some are approved and some not approved. You know, because uh, we had a guy in Rochester for one time who was a Kodak chemist, and he was a claimed seer, but he would just put his eyes up in his head and claim that you know he talked to Mary every day at noon. And she said, "Pray for an end to abortion," and then people would go see him have this, and they'd walk out. But in in America, you know, we've we've seen how we've treated the Native Americans, the indigenous peoples. Um, you you were brought into, and what I like about you, Stephen, is you're not making it like sound so, so, so esoteric that like some Navajo shaman knocked on your door and you were taken out at night and you met Carlos Castaneda. And, <laughs> but anyhow, you, like that. <laughs> no, no, no. But how, like what's available to people now? You mentioned the books of RJ Stewart. I've read a bunch of those, but like, so first I, I asked two questions, but like is, you know, decreasing, you know, what's going on across the country, or maybe you can only speak for the Navajo or in the Southwest. Is the shamanic tradition, the authentic one, alive and well? And how do they know charlatans? Are there charlatans from, from real people who could help you in this? Right, that's a fundamental question. Uh, they, they've solved that because they, they don't have uh, large institutional structures. They don't have hierarchies. Uh, with levels of people in charge. Uh, if, if you can heal people, if you're respected by the people in your community, if you're the one they go to when there's an abandoned child and someone needs to take them into their family, uh, if, 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 if you're willing to work for nothing because all these people are the ones you grew up with, and the ones that raised you, you are known. Your character is known. It's not because That's really cool you have fancy theories. You know, you're you you're you're respected, and when you speak, people listen to you. And those are the people that 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 that, uh, that have the clout. And and it's, it's not for conjecture, and uh, and but there's no proof either. You know. Yeah. So, and, and some medicine men uh, are, are like, you know, straight arrow types, you know, they got creases in their jeans and they tuck their shirts in and they're squared away, man, just like in the military, they're on the job 24 seven. And other guys are like, you know, really loosey goosey. But when it comes to it, you know, doing a ceremony, you, you, you've, things line up 
you get rain out of a clear sky. And it's not a miracle. Well, it is a miracle, but just because everything is a miracle. Uh, you get agreements from the world. Uh, you know, wild animals come up to you. You know, you're okay if wild animals like you. You know, that's a good sign. Uh, you know, so there's all kind of real world indications. And the real initiates that I've known in the native traditions have, have not been, you know, extraordinary in any specific way. Julie, my wife, and I have come up with the, with the term, we call them not supernatural, but superordinary. What do we say, Julie? Supernormal. We say supernormal. How about supernaturally natural? You know, I've heard that described. Yeah, yeah supernormal. Yeah. You know, they're extra human. You yeah. know, they aren't out there. You know, they aren't, you know, doing spooky stuff. You know, they're really reassuring to be around because, you know, they're, they're really uh, individuated and uh, at ease with themselves. That's and the spirits that come yeah. through in the ceremonies are, uh, yeah. they're, uh, they're great spirits of the four directions. You know, great spirits. There's small spirits of elemental spirits, but then the largest spirits are the ones that are associated with the elemental directions of east, south, west, and north, which are at the same time the, the fundamental forces of air, fire, water, and earth. And uh, you can commune. Uh, with fire by standing out in the sunlight. You can commune with water by, you know, putting your feet in the river and just open yourself up. It's, it, it, it's, it's accessible. The, the real problem is that people's brains are too freaking busy and they can't slow down to notice what's going on around them, what's much less in their own minds. The stuff is happening all around. The native traditions are about, they don't teach meditation because if you're really in touch with your environment, you're kind of meditated exactly. automatically. You're synced, exactly. you're synced and you're in the zone. And, uh, and things, things, things come up and they arise and they, and they, they go down. And, uh, and you realize that life is a constant succession of inexplicable miracles. I like the small ones, you know, the big ones are tricky. It comes with catches and, you know, you know, fine print. The little ones, I'm good with those. Really and they happen print. all the time around native people. And if you want to, want to check it out, just go to, just, just go to your local Native American people somewhere. They're probably listening to a phone book. The reservations have websites and whatever say you want to go to an anipi you want to you want to experience an anipi a sweat lodge you go to one of those run run by a native of any sort and that'll be an initiation i guarantee you that so that's not uh, matthew milliner remember michael he was kind yeah. of saying the same thing you know don't presume you know too much the basic the basic hospitality in a humble way but there is a welcoming you're saying it's not an imposition um, they, they love to teach. They, 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 they have the wisdom that they know that needs to be shared. Yeah. And, and the most terrible thing for, for one of those people is that no one asks them to share what they know. Wow, that's yeah. really good to hear. Yeah, and then it gets lost. And then yeah. people have to start, you know, recreating it from the wheel again. You know, yeah. and that's, that's what a lot of this new age spirituality is. You've got people with, you know, profound impulses. You know, but 
no guidance. There's, there's no one that really represents it. There's people that go out and teach theories and have these grand, you know, you know, ideas about stuff. But you know, to to really start 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 living with your feet on the ground here in this continent, you need good examples of how it's done. And once you, and, and once and once 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 you get it, it's real simple. Okay. Stephen, like if you took if you took um a it's open source is what it is. Open yeah. source. Everyone open source. contributes. Yeah. No one's in charge. Because yeah. the spirits are there and they will give agreement or not, you know, when people put themselves up. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, it would just be not all, and I don't know the percentages, but a certain number of our listeners would be from the Roman Catholic tradition. And your work, um, especially on the American continent, has a huge role for Our Lady of Guadalupe. You know, is there specifically, you know, if you would kind of wax on that a little bit in your thinking, but also, um, is there another access point? Let's say somebody has heard what you just said, said, I, I don't know, I'm not gonna be able to find these people. It, within kind of somewhat more of traditional Catholic piety, um, if you see an access point through um, a certain type of devotion uh, to Our Lady of Guadalupe. Let's say something about the role of her in your thinking and the, the future of spirituality on this landmass. Right, well, uh, the Lady of Guadalupe uh, phenomenon came about uh, soon after the, uh, the uh, 1492 events. I think it wasn't until uh, 1521 that she made her, her apparition. And it, she's called the Lady of Guadalupe because the, the, the Spanish that were involved at that, in that area uh, where she appeared were from Guadalupe, Spain. You know, so they brought the Madonna over with her, you know, and uh, regardless if it was, uh, you know, a miracle imprint from the spiritual world on the tilma of the young lady, or whether it was a talented native artist who did it, uh, is pretty much a moot point as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it's, it's got a power to it that, that people are attracted to because all over the world, people respond to the idea of the goddess and it's an authentic primal impulse that unfortunately has to exist on the fringes. Well, in the Roman Catholic church, it's not, it's a major part. I have a lot of people, the real connection to the Catholic church is only through the Madonna, you know, and that's, that's fine, I guess. But the Protestants, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater, uh, the evangelical churches, you know, they aren't going there. Uh, but, uh, but there's a, a, a numinous quality to it because the goddess was always uh, at the forefront of the devotions of the native people here. And there's a tremendous momentum uh, in karmic and cultural history, you know, thousands and thousands of years that come through that people, people resonate with, I believe. But it's just an image. There are other images. There are local, other more local images. Uh, you could get the, the Virgin on a tortilla, you know, and, and it could open your heart and hey, whatever works. So. Michael, what are you thinking here? You know, 
Well, I'm thinking about a million things. Yeah. But uh, I mean, I mean, I, I think, I mean, I, I think Stephen's pointing out to something that I've been trying to get people to pay attention to for a long time is, you know, how to, you know, you know, it, as I've said before, right? The the idea in my interpretation of sociology is that it simultaneously connects us to the cosmos in, in the creation and the in the earth itself right and because without that without both of those um you you get no place i mean the only place to go is to kind of a mental illness <laughs> really and 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 steven's kind of reinforcing that idea for me and and i and i like i mean i like this in 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 the the readings you sent to us uh I, I like this idea that you where you use the the tree of life and you flip it over and show the overworld on the underworld is that how you put it the overworld yes. again? yeah and i, I li like that and i and i think that resonates with and i think a lot of people listening because i hear from people all the time that will resonate because this has been the, this is the thing that has been missing. This is Carl Jung talked about this how long ago, right? This is the thing that was, and his wife did too, in her book on the Grail, right? Mm -hmm. So how you know, it's a retrieval, and I think this is where kind of connects to that the Gnostic myth of Sophia in exile, right? Because it's not that Sophia was in exile; it's that humanity, for the most part, especially Western humanity, exiled her. Right. So, cool. and this retrieval, I think, is an important. Um, I mean, that, that couldn't, I can't even emphasize how important this is for the future. Because without it, I mean, I think, I think you, you, when we look at right now, I mean, you look at the trans thing that's going on right now. That is, to me, you know, in thinking of these kind of spiritual terms, um, it's a, it's a repercussion of, um a kind of nominalism for one thing but the other part the the part that's missing is the integration right there's 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 not uh you know there's not an integration of the spiritual and the earthly and the telluric right mm. and and some people that and that makes people disconnected not only disconnected from the world and from creation but indeed from their own bodies so how do we, you know, and I, so, so I think the path that Stephen lays out here is the path forward. I, I think it's going to be the, the, the next half of earthly evolution. Next half, that's my thought. Is the reemergence of the goddess into general consciousness and the transformations that are going to have to take place to fix what's gone wrong in this world. And now earlier, Michael, before we 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 started, you uh, you mentioned we uh, you might want a little bit of a, a biography here. Yeah, got started and all this, and, and I'll tell you this now because uh, it's it, I think it's relevant at this point. Um, I remember when I dropped into my body when I was three years old. Uh, I, I walked out of the. Uh, the back door of the house to, through the through the kitchen and the porch and outside and I was standing there all of a sudden 
bam, I felt I was in my body for the, for the first time. And I, I think I remember when that happened to me, yeah. I think everybody had that experience and most, many people forget it, but if it's strong enough, it really makes an imprint. And I've remembered it ever since. And I realized that I was surrounded by, uh, not surrounded by, but uh, I was infused by, along with everything else, the light of Christ was like imminent, you know, and ominent, you know, it, it was just everything. But it was, it, it was beautiful. But at the same time, I had this horrible, creeping feeling that something had gone terribly wrong, you know, and I said, wait a minute, things, things might not have been great the last time I was here, but it wasn't like this. Something really, really weird has gone on since last time I was here. Now, I have peculiar ideas about reincarnation, but we won't go there. <clears throat> but memories that I don't know are mine, I have, you know, about living in a better world. And I, I, I was driven to, to explore, you know, what is it that's going on? So I got involved in science and everything like that. And I realized it was the atomic bombs. I was born in 1940. Yeah, your work is so powerful on that. Yeah. I was born in 1948, three years after they started popping off atom bombs, you know. All yep. over the place, thousands of, I think 3,000 nuclear tests around the world, each one of which has ripped, has torn a rent in the fabric, the membrane of this world. Yeah. You know, cells have membranes, you know, we have skin on the outside of our bodies. That's, that's our systemic integrity. Well, the systemic integrity of this world has been seriously damaged by those atomic blasts. And atomic reactors are not a whole lot better. They're, they're working with energies that are necessary for, uh, for, for things to exist in the physical. We've got to have electrons and neutrons and protons and quarks and all these things. That's the substratum of physical reality. We wouldn't have physical incarnation we didn't have all that stuff, but it's got to be in its right place, you know, and it's not. And so there's a big, big problem with that. Now, the thing is, according to my research, <laughs> the atomic bomb could only have been developed in this part of the world because it had the ancestral heritage of all the, the bad shamanic magic that had gone on here for so long, like it has everywhere. I'm not, I don't know if it was better or worse than any other part in the world, but the shamanic energy in this part of the world was always concerned with how to deal with those uh, really strong, calm, harmonic uh, internal forces of, of the earth. And they had ways for dealing with them. Uh, successive civilizations, of which the one in Teotihuacan was one, uh, developed strategies for neutralizing those toxic energies. But human nature being what it is, uh, there was a big struggle at the time of, of uh, 2000 years ago, uh, where there was a big struggle over you know, the dark side against the light side. And you had the light side in the underworld too. It's mostly light. You know, these, these evil aberrations we see, they're, they're aberrations, you know. 
as Steiner said, evil is only something that's out of time or out of place that's otherwise good. And these subnatural forces are exactly that. But they're dangerous, like I said before. And you had people that were messing with them and, and working against uh, the mission of Christ there. But the predominant powers were the successful ones, the ones that defeated the dark forces right. as it had done successively before and afterwards. And when the Spaniards came in and upset the ancestral traditions and knowledge of this stuff, they also destroyed the fail-safe spiritualities that the native people had in place. And then you have the onrush of technology, uh, the, the, the national security state, the industrial military complex. That kind the of legend of the ring, right? You yeah. know, just that, you know, this thing is out there, it gets rediscovered and it just it's used for bad purposes. Like you said, they lost the fail safe for this thing. Oh, I think Stephen froze up a second. Oh, okay. Huh. He speaks with a lot of authority on this stuff, doesn't he, Michael? It's not only that, but I think the bad guys just froze his screen. <laughs> we'll so see. He, he has my here. text number. Um, and I can also tell him, friends, if he if he can't join us again, we'll have Mon again. And I'm not soon. kidding that they, they froze his screen. Like, like yeah. you said earlier about the fairies with, with, uh, with James Tunney, right? Yeah, he starts talking about Los Alamos and what's going on here. And... Um, yeah, I really oh. encourage people. He's probably trying to sign on one more time so we can chat for a little bit. Okay. But uh, what were some of your other takeaways from his work, Michael? Well, I, what I think, I, I, what's, what I've been thinking about the whole time he's been talking is uh, <clears throat> my wife, Bonnie, has been reading this book uh, by a Native American medicine man who is a Christian and who is connecting, kind of like what Matthew Milliner does in his work, where he's connecting the native spirituality with christianity and one of the you know and he talks about the seven generations right where, where we what we're doing now is the fruit of seven generations before and what we do today has to have have fruit seven generations okay, yeah. so whatever we do it's going to come out that way and it's not very uh, american like well, it's Native American. Right? <laughs> no, I know, but it's not very American, like the instant gratification thing. But uh, no, right. yeah. and uh, and she and she actually because Bonnie is part Native American. Yeah, you mentioned that. And she she realized that her 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 ancestor, her great great grandmother, where where she is, was actually seven generations before her. Wow. So we're now at the seventh generation. Yeah. And she feels a real strong affinity for that. And it was interesting. One of the things this this medicine man, I don't know the name of the book. I was going to go get it. He talks about um, the seven fires. I think the Here, seven. You talked a little bit. I'm going to the seven flames of the seven fires. And he he had there's like a a carving in some stones, you know, about these seven flames, and it looks like a menorah. So it's kind of a fascinating um, connection there. And actually another um, friend of ours, uh, Sarah, Sarah Height, who we talked to, her husband, Todd, he spent a lot of time out West in the Southwest looking at petroglyphs, which are in uh, Paleo-Hebrew. 
So he's he's really learned in that stuff, and he he's been traveling, in fact, all over the world, in, in investigating these inscriptions of Paleo Hebrew that are found in Native American rock carvings, and he he finds similar ones, right? I think, well, as Sarah was telling us, when they lived uh, near Petra, which those of those of you watching right now will remember, Petra is. Uh, the place where in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade where they find the Holy Grail, right? But but Sarah lived near Petra and and they were investigating the the petroglyphs there, which in a in a also in Paleo Hebrew. So there are all these connections, you know. And as Matthew Milliner, uh, you can find this on our <laughs> our backlog. As Matthew Milliner was saying, you know, what happened with a lot of Native Americans when they when the the Western settlers came here and started talking about Jesus. I said, and they're like, oh yeah, we know that guy. He was here before. Yeah, we know all about him. Stephen just called, you know, he said, I think, you know, as soon as we started talking about Los Alamos. He said the same saw, thing too, huh? Yeah. So he's yeah. trying. And so Michael, we can we can talk for a few more minutes. And then what I told him, like, maybe within the next month, we could have him on for part two. Yeah, this I whole, wasn't kidding. This yeah. I was not kidding when I said that. Now, one of the things that interested me in his essays, and again, people, if you just Google Stephen Clark and Ian Clark and Mexican Mysteries, make sure you read the footnotes because I'll put you on to the work of this R.J. Stewart. But he's he's talking about, again, the courts of the mother. And, um, you know, and some people take umbrage at maybe the word feminism, but he's saying like this this thing that we're moving toward, he, he finds it kind of there in jazz, abstract art. Think of like Kandinsky and so forth. 12-step um, programs, self-help, um, co-counseling, feminism. So feminism, we could say like, again, you know, embracing the feminine, consensus decision-making, grassroots ecology, fringe spirituality, environmental activism, uh, anti-war movements, um, and things like that. And so he, these things that come from the bottom, you know, some of us might kind of bristle that, uh, uh, some this list would turn some people off. You know, there's a great book called The Forbidden Image written by a French scholar. It's a whole history of icons. And he found the most spiritual work of the last 200 years. Alain Bessencon was his name. Just a traditional French Catholic, but it was a, a Kandinsky's abstract work. And, um, you know, this gives us a sense of what we're talking about from the underworld. Now, again, you've been on committee meetings, Michael, where you have to do consensus decision making. And we want to shoot ourselves, right? Who wouldn't want some like tyrant clerical priest to come in and make the decision? Well, that takes so long. Yeah, go as ahead. As you were ticking off that list there, I was thinking, yeah. oh yeah, those things all sound good in theory. But uh, yeah, me too. I, I, I get but that's I what happens. But that's what happens, you know, in every one of those instances, it's, you know, and this is, and this is a problem, right? This is a serious problem that people don't pay attention to. This is when the egregore moves in, mm -hmm. right? The egregore moves in and kind of spoils it. Kind of, kind of. So uh, tell one story, kind of from beginning to end. Like you were on a good committee. You were, you were. Well, involved, no, you know. and, and well, the thing is, you start, you know, whether it's a committee. I mean, and and it it starts off, but what happens? It gets bogged down every single one of the if you're doing consensus. Yeah. And well, I used to say we should we shouldn't call it consensus. We should just call it wearing down the people who want to get something done yeah right right, right. <laughs> you know what i mean because and it becomes and it becomes inefficient that not just inefficient it becomes counterproductive and nothing ever gets done 
Whereas, and this is what I think with the problem with. But what's your solution? How do you spot the egregore? You know, or, or like what point? Well, I think, you, you know, I'm, I've been thinking a lot about this. And I think it's also, um, you see it. I've been thinking a lot about, and I plan on writing about it maybe this week, about um, deinstitutionalization of of structure of whether it's the academy or the church or whatever it happens to be because those things what happens and and I was used, I was thinking of the Celtic church as a model and I bet Stephen would say have examples from Native American spirituality and governance where you know the Celtic church was far enough away from Rome to kind of do their own thing and be organic but then eventually Rome comes in and says, well, we're going to make you part of the fold now. We're going to, we're, yeah. we're going to send a guy over here, right? And kind of kills the livingness. It doesn't entirely kill it, but it, it kills some, some of the livingness of it. And I think that's, that's what you have. And that's why, you know, is that when I was talking with, uh, um, who was I talking to? I can't remember. I was talking to Zelba. Um, Well, last week when, when I was when I was talking about uh, um, DMT and, and stuff like that, yeah, yeah. Right? Um, the the problem with is is we heard is that you know with now with uh, whatever who, who, you know, psychedelic people are going to start to make legal, then what happens is you know the suits get involved just like with cannabis right the uh -huh. suits get involved and all of a sudden it becomes corporatized and we know how how and and so how can you uh avoid going there and how can you keep it how can you keep it alive right how yeah, can you yeah. keep it keep it small and beautiful keep it small keep it small again right. the obsession at growth at all at all points you know growth that's where again perishable currency comes in but like we do these bottom-up things like consensus decision-making and then people want to, they put it on to, they map it onto false paradigms like growth or uh, scarcity and so forth. And then they turn against themselves. But um, it does look like we probably won't have Stephen back uh, this hour. Um, there was something else about what he said. Oh, you know, we're going to keep on exploring this underworld. I learned a lot today, you know, yeah. but um, and he, again, seemed like to me a pretty authentic initiate. So, We'll, uh, we'll do this again in a couple of weeks. I think next week, Michael, you know, I want to have our friend Therese Schroeder because I told you why. And then uh, I had, I can do a shout out. I had two fans of the podcast, husband and wife, Wilhelm Hoyer and his wife, Sally came to, they were in the area at a Catholic worker farm. They've traveled the world, but they came to visit this Saturday. We had a great talk, but they were so fascinating on family and uh, like the image of birthing to understand so much about our culture. And I said, one of our upcoming podcasts, we would have them both on, whether they had two separate computers. And uh, I know I can name a couple of subjects. So right. we invite people to keep on listening. Um, thank you for listening to the Regeneration Podcast. Mike, any announcements about... Uh, uh, I have an announcement. Yeah, so yeah, next please. weekend, or actually, yeah, the weekend after this goes, I will be in Washington, D.C. Yeah, that's a big event. Tell it people is about a big it. event. And I will be there with... Um, Paul Vanderclay, if anybody knows who he is. That's and, a new uh, name to me, but it's now very familiar. No, he, but yeah, he's, he's, he's a, he's a, a Calvinist uh, pastor, 
but also so paul will be there and spencer clavin who has a new book out how to save the west and the irish guy the irish guy mark Connolly, yeah who uh and and another guy named uh joe what's joe's last name <laughs> joe, i don't know that one what's joe's last i thought name? i just saw there was four of you but so people well, can three of us and, and but the, the guys putting it out are, are mark and okay. joe and we'll be in washington dc and, and people can actually, buy tickets do you have the uh, can you oh how about this send me the link and we'll i'll send you the link and you can yeah. throw it throw yeah. it up on the, on the thing oh. but but it's next saturday and sunday the the 29th and 30th of okay. july yeah. Sounds in washington dc and what's the title again i should be the able title to title is just make sure i got it right i think it's something like you know decline um no 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 no, no. it's always it's a complicated title let me let me check in the title here sure the title is Christ, Community, and Renewing Culture. That's right. That's right. So that should be big. That should yeah. be big. So we, and we had everybody. a nice conversation the other day. It was, it was actually a lot of fun talking to these guys. Yeah, we'll so like these guys. And we'll have to break it down after you do it, too. Okay. We can have a like a Regeneration Podcast exclusive. There we go. Yeah. All right. Well, you, uh, it's, it's hot as Hades here. I'm going to go actually take a quick swim in the pool and then... Uh, do a few things in the garden and um we've got a daughter getting married i think in two weekends from this weekend oh good for you yeah super okay. exciting yeah so i uh, thank you everybody thank you fans for listening to the regeneration podcast uh again we uh steven we lost you um and uh, we hope to have you back real soon i found that super fascinating Never thanks everybody. About the bad guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, i don't know it's so crazy isn't it